Hey, so this morning we're going to be looking in Colossians, and uh, we're taking a deep dive in the book of Colossians. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, passage by passage, to unpack everything that is there. It is amazing, it is awesome, and you will love it. And so Colossians chapter nine, chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, I'm going to read through verse 14. And Paul, this is a prison prayer that he writes from prison to these people in the small town of Colossae. Could have been Calamasi here. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is what God wants to do in you. Uh, if you're uh, wondering about what, you know, if you became a Christ follower, this is what God would want to do. If you're a veteran, this is what God wants to do in every one of us. We're going to unpack what God wants to do in each and every one of us. Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard of you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you'll have the endurance and the patience that you need and may you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father, He's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So, Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word, for your living word. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that the spirit that breathed it would breathe it into our lives and we would hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul writes to this church in Colossae from prison. So he's in this hellhole in prison there in Colossae. It's in Turkey today. And so uh, what happens is he hears about the church there in Colossae. Now they were doing pretty good here, but uh, basically what I'm doing this morning is I'm just repeating a prisoner's prayer for a church here. So he gets word from a guy named Epaphras there who comes to him from Colossae, goes to Rome, and he tells him, look, here's what's going on in the church. And it was so amazing when he heard that Paul said, every time I hear about you, like, I fall on my knees and I give thanks to God, the fruit, everything that's happening, it's absolutely amazing there. And so Paul heard about the false teachers that had come in. They're infiltrating and they're teaching them all these you know, lame doctrines about Jesus isn't enough, that, you know, you need to join the, you know, uh, these clubs to learn more about what Jesus is and what Paul says is not enough and Epaphrit says is not enough. You're not being taught the truth. You need to listen to us here. So you need a deeper knowledge. You know, you need superior knowledge. You need all these experiences, you know. So Paul said, no, let me correct all that here. And so I want to review verse 6 here says this. The same good news that is going out all over, over all the world, it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So the gospel then is good news, but it's just not truth, and it's just not good news. It is the truth of the good news. How many people know that you can hear truth, but it's not good news? How many people know you can hear truth, but it's not good news? Like you get a letter from the IRS, it's the truth. 
it's not very good news. Or the dentist tells you you need a root canal. It's the truth, but it's not very good news. Now that was funny, and I don't know why you don't think it's funny. Well, the root canal part's not funny, but what I said was true. Anyway, so the gospel, though, it's good news, and it's the truth. And he said, did you have to hear it? It has to be explained. It has to be heard. has to be, you know, uh, communicated there. And so the gospel, the good news, why is it good news? Because we are sinners, hopeless in our condition here. So sinners who by nature and choice are separated from God. Nothing that we can do about it. And so Jesus, because of his death, his resurrection comes, he saves us, and we who are forever separated now are reconciled, connected back to God, can have life eternal with him here. So the gospel is that God loves us, God forgives us here, dies in our place as our substitute for our sin and atoning death, the Bible says, and he rises from the dead to give us newness of life here. So as the good news results in changed lives from the first day that you heard. So we have to hear the gospel, the good news, has to be proclaimed, has to be explained, has to be heard here. And so the good news has this innate, incredible power, the power of God, Paul said in Romans 1.16, the power of God, which can change your life here. And so it transforms people, changes their lives, and alters their destinies. And so what I want to say here as we unpack this, Paul's going to begin to talk now about Epaphras. I want to point something out to you, what he does here, because he begins to encourage him, and he's very intentional in what he does. So it has great application for all of us here. So he begins by saying, uh, Epaphras here, he says, this wonderful worker, and he says he's a servant of the Lord. So he begins to establish this culture of encouragement. He begins with this, he says, you know what? I'm encouraged by all I see there at the church. And he talks about the church. He says, you know what? I see the fruit. I see everything that's happening. Wow, it's amazing. I'm hitting my knees because it's so great what is happening there in Colossae. He said, I hear the good reports. I hear how you're bearing fruit. Uh, you know, and then he says this later. He's going to say, I've got a couple corrections. Got a couple corrections coming here. But do you see what he's doing? He's beginning to deposit massive amounts of encouragement and affirmation to the church, which he's actually going to correct. He's going to end up correcting the church, but he's showering them with massive doses of encouragement here. And so I want to pause for just a minute and do what he did. Paul encouraged and affirmed the church there in Colossae. I just want to pause and do exactly the same thing with you here this morning. And so I want to encourage you because I really think that you are a wonderful people. You're great to be, uh, to, to be with. Uh, you're great to communicate to. Uh, you're great listeners. Uh, you're very dedicated. You're very committed. Uh, you pray. People are praying for you this, this morning uh, before you arrive. There's people praying for 30 minutes before you get here for, for us. But you pray. You serve. You give. You go, uh, you bless. Uh, I, I appreciate you're generous and you're sacrificial and you're remarkable, really. You're so dedicated and you're so committed. Uh, you're easy to love. You're easy to lead uh, most of the time. 
That was funny too. And so, but you know, you're, you're really among the most gifted people that I've ever been around. There's astoundingly gifted people here. Not only astoundingly gifted on stage, but throughout this church and the Sunday school outside here today, you're astoundingly gifted. And so I look forward to meeting with you every Sunday. I really do. I look forward to meeting you. I look forward to being here every single Sunday. I love this journey here, and I love uh, meeting you, getting to know you, and I love that you are getting to know one another here. And so I'm so grateful for you. This church is growing. Uh, this church is flourishing. Uh, this church is being blessed. It's a blessing to our community. Um, I lo- I'm overjoyed at what is happening around here. I'm grateful for that. And I really want you to know that you are a very special community. I had a consultant come here from Orange County to evaluate me and us a little bit. And the first thing she told me is, it's amazing how the people serve. She said, we could never get uh, people to serve the way people serve here in Orange County. Uh, Nothing against Orange County. We love Orange County. But she said in the church there, she said, we could never get people to serve like you serve here. And so I love that uh, you're putting orphans, you're putting uh, uh, um, clothes on orphans, I love that you uh, went to Mexico a couple weeks ago. I love that the team's going to Houston. I love the TAPS is going to Africa. I love, I just got back from our biggest youth camp ever in our history. We're having our biggest VBS ever in our history. And so um, uh, I love that we're searching for a permanent new home, and uh, that is on the way. But um, I love the diversity here. Uh, I love the diversity. I love the diversity of age that we have. I love that we have... Um, young people, and I love that we have uh, senior saints. Notice how careful I was to say that. And so, uh, but this is what I love. This is what I love, is that I love that, you know, they're, we're like on a ship, and we need people that can steer the rudder, you know, and uh, the, the uh, mature people are steering the rudder, you know, keeping us uh, straight. And then there's young, you know, the young people are fired up and energized, you know, feeling the wind of, of the journey and all. But the mixture of that is a beautiful thing. I love that we're multicultural, multi-generational. And so I really love this church. I love you. I love, uh, uh, you, you make it easy for me to love you. And so I mean this with all my heart. It is my blessing uh, to share this journey with you. And I just want to encourage you and affirm you with that. Amen. I love you. <laughs> And so that's what Paul does. He, he affirms the church. He encourages the church there at Colossae. And he says in verse 7, you learned about the good news from Epaphras. He's basically saying, man, this guy Epaphras, he rocks. He says, our beloved co-worker. He says he's a faith, he's Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. And so now he affirms uh, Epaphras. He affirms this guy. And then look at the words he uses. He's beloved. He's a, he's a great worker. He's faithful. He says, this guy is so amazing. He's a, it's a doulos in the original language. He's a servant. He's like giving up uh, like a slave, giving up all of his rights of his own just so he can serve you there in Colossae. He says, this guy is amazing here. And so Paul begins the letter to establish, you know, in your notes there, a culture of encouragement. That's what he's doing. He's building a culture of encouragement. So Paul's in prison. Watch. He's never been to the city. He's never visited the church. He personally doesn't know the people here. And Epaphras is the pastor. And he says this. 
Man, I love this guy, Epaphras. He's a faithful servant. He works so hard for you. He's so devoted to you here. Paul is saying, you know what? He's wonderful. And I just care about this guy and how he cares for you. And he's trying to do everything that Jesus wants him to do for you. This guy, Epaphras, is amazing. And you need to honor this guy. So Paul also, in your, in your notes there, he's establishing a culture there of honor. And I think this is so important for us because really, in America, I don't know if we realize this, but we live in a culture of dishonor. Did, did you know that? I mean, just look around, look at the news, look at how we treat people, look at how we treat older people. All around the world, other cultures, you know, are different than that. Most cultures I've experienced in my lifetime uh, around the world, there are cultures of honor. But see, in the church, in the kingdom, God really wants there to be a culture of honor where we honor one another, where husbands honor wives. Does that sound all right? And wives, hus- wives honor their husbands, and children honor their parents. And, uh, and we honor one another by, you know, how we listen and all. And so a culture of honor is something I think that God wants to, to build in, into the church here. And so, uh, and to encourage one another. And I just want to say this. I know that you can do it. I know that you can affirm people. And I want to challenge you and I want to empower you uh, that you would do that, that you would empower, uh, you would be empowered to affirm one another and to encourage one another. Think about Paul here. He's writing from prison and he's thinking these thoughts about Epaphras. Okay, he's thinking, you know what? That guy rocks here, you know. He's a faithful servant. He's a beloved co-worker and watch. He doesn't just think that. He just doesn't think, you know, all these great things about Epaphras. He writes them down on paper, and then it's read to the whole church. And so I want to challenge you this way. When you think affirming thoughts, and you think encouraging thoughts about someone, don't just think them. Say them. Release them and tell them, because this is what I know to be true. I've never met anyone that when you affirm them or when you encourage them, they say, ah, had enough of that encouragement, had enough of that affirmation, just knock it off, will you? No, they don't do that. They're like, they appreciate that. They appreciate that. And so when you just stop, and it's so easy, all you have to do is do this. You just stop and you say, you know what? I just want to affirm you. Would you mind? And you can even ask, do you mind if I affirmed you? Do you mind if I affirm you? Cameron, come on up here. I'm going to affirm Cameron right now. Right off the top of my head, I'm going to affirm Cameron. Put your hands together. And I'll show you. Watch. Coming up here. So this is completely extemporaneous. But Cameron, um, I want to affirm you. And this is what I want to affirm about you. I know you're a great husband. Thank you. You know why I know? Why? I can see it in your wife. She's happy, she's well cared for, and she loves you. And so I know, uh, I know you're a great husband. And uh, another thing I know about you is you're a great provider. You work hard. You know, I, you told me stories, not, not to try to, to amplify how hard you work, but I just know from talking to you, you're a really hard worker. And so I appreciate about that. You, I appreciate that you're, you're a man of faith. And I just want to affirm that, you know, you've got a, a heart for God and uh, you're a part of the worship team and everything. Um, I want to affirm that you're a good man. Thank you're a good man. You. When I see you, um, had you over the house last week and, and uh, just your being there with the group, you know, 
I said, this guy here, Cameron, he's a good man. And so I just want, I just want to affirm that in you. Thank and so really, it's just a pleasure for me to share the journey with you. It really is. So uh, anyway, thank you. All right, so, um, so see, that wasn't hard. That was all new things. I've never told him any of those things there. But you know what? I'm just, rather than just think those things, you know, uh, to affirm someone. And so we can all do that. And so I'm asking you to do what Paul did. Let's be, you know, affirmers and encouragers. You can do it. Right on? All right. I'm holding you to that. And so Paul says here, says, man, this guy works hard. He's devoted. He cares. You know, he's amazing. So we see this culture there of honor and encouragement. And so I want us to continue reading here. And he says this, and and I want to point this out. I want to point this out. What was it about Epaphras that he got to be the lead guy, the church, you know, planter there, the pastor, uh, I mean, the pastor of this church in Colossae. And here it is. It says, he was a faithful servant. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, you know what, he was incredibly gifted. It doesn't say he was a dynamic personality. It doesn't say, you know, he was a great speaker. He didn't say he had amazing spiritual gifts. All it took for him to rise to the level of being the overseer of this church is he was a faithful servant. And I want to point that out because this is what I know to be true. All of us here, you, you know, you may not feel like you're incredibly gifted, you know, or you're a, you know, public person, or whatever. It doesn't matter. What separated him and the distinguishing characteristic was this. He was a faithful servant and all of us can do that. You can be faithful with what God shows you to do and you can be, a, you can be his servant here. So it says in verse nine. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. So who's the we? Who's the we? The we is Paul and Epaphras there and Timothy who was with him. So Paul then begins to verbalize, begins to verbalize what God was making real to him in terms of his prayer. So what we're talking about is I'm just unpacking the prison prayer of what Paul wanted to do, God wanted to do in them and in us here this morning. So he says of Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, this guy, he's labored in prayer for you. I mean, he gets after it in his prayers. And so, and here's the prayer that they cannot stop praying. He says, and they're hearing God's voice. So watch, Paul is hearing God's voice for the people. And this is really hearing God's voice for you. He says this, he says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, watch. God doesn't want you to live your life trying to, you know, figure it out in darkness and uncertainty, not knowing what God's will is. He wants you to know and to be clear about that. So in your notes there, God wants to give you spiritual wisdom. But the Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, and the inference is, and of course you do, let him ask God. So there's the simple dynamic that you just have to ask God, and God will give you, promises you, he'll give you wisdom, but you just have to go to God in terms of your lifestyle and your approach to life, always asking God for wisdom here. And so what this scripture tells us is God always wants you to grow. He wants you to continually grow here. And so in the original language, it means to, to grow and to grow and to keep growing and not to settle. 
Because we tend to settle, you know, uh, if you're a Christ follower, it's so easy to settle here. And so we, we don't want to settle here. And so if you want to know God's will, you have to go to, you know, God's word. It's there in his word. But then you think, but what do I do with it, you know? Or I went, with, I went to his word last year, the year before. Watch this. The Bible says this in Psalms 119. It says, his, his word, okay, is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. So in the original uh, culture there, what that means is they had little lamps. And they walked around with little lamps, okay? And imagine a little candle. A little candle would kind of show, you know, maybe, you know, five or six feet around you. And they would walk around with this little, this little uh, candle, this lamp. And he says, listen, that's what God's Word is like. God's Word will illuminate, okay? But watch what it illuminates around you a little bit. It's not a megawatt, you know, illuminating for the next year or two or five years or ten years, but it might just illuminate for today, maybe that argument, you know, maybe how to handle the kids, you know, at this season of life. But you have to continually keep going back and growing in it so you know how to apply it as your life unfolds there. And so all that to say this in your notes, God wants you to hear His voice for your life. God wants you to hear His voice for your life. That you would be growing in his knowledge, growing in relationship with him, getting better acquainted with his person. It's so easy to be a church goer, but not be growing in, uh, in your intimacy with him. And so this is the will of God, that you, that you grow like this. And so the goal is then to have an ever-increasing uh, knowledge uh, of who he is and to grow in that. So watch this. When you trust Him, when you talk to Him, when you let Him talk to you, here's Paul's prayer for wisdom and understanding. Verse 10 says this. Then, then what? Okay, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So in your notes, God always wants you to grow. To grow there spiritually. He wants his root, his word to take root and for you to keep growing there. And so Paul, though, his prayer, it reveals his concern. He's concerned here about this, about this early church. So he's saying that, yeah, I know you're doing a good work. Okay. I know you're doing a good work. And watch, he says, you're having every kind of good fruit, every kind. But watch, watch this. He said, but it's not just enough to have good fruit. Okay, in the process there, it's exceedingly important, the process of your bearing good fruit. Let me explain that. Because he says there's two things here. Okay, he says honor. Okay, he talks about um, you want to honor the Lord and please the Lord in that journey. So let me illustrate from my own life. So I was a missionary to one summer I was a missionary. I won a scholarship to be a missionary and I traveled throughout Mexico traveled in the jungles and the cities. I did health care. Uh, I did surgeries in the jungle. And so, uh, but I had a bad attitude. I had a really bad attitude because I was feeling like I'm working my tail off and no one appreciates me. No one appreciates, you know, going into the jungles. And one time it came to an absolute head. Now I was working on, I was working in this, this, this thatched roof hut. It was really hot, really humid. I was exhausted. 
uh, from just the journey. And uh, this woman I was trying to help was just giving me the hardest time imaginable. And I had it. I began to walk out of the, I just began, I just said, I've had it, you know. And so I began to walk out of the, out of the thatched roof hut there. And then I saw my life for what it was. God liked to let me just see a glimpse of my attitude and the ugliness of who I was being to the people there. And so, um, and at that moment, I just stopped outside the hut and I said, God, I'm sorry, you know. And I was just broken by, by what I, I, I just saw how I was being. So if you didn't know me though, and you heard about Rod Collins, oh, he's down there in Mexico, and he's serving the people in the jungles, and look at all the things, and you would have, you'd have thought, wow, look at the good fruit. But if you could have gone behind the scenes, you would have seen the ugliness of my attitude and my heart there, and I wasn't doing this very thing. I wasn't honoring the Lord, and really I wasn't pleasing the Lord at all. I was displeasing the Lord and how the fruit that was coming out of my life. So we really need to check our hearts. Are we honoring God in the journey there? Whatever we're doing, whatever, you know, fruitful endeavors you're involved in, are you honoring Him and are you pleasing Him? Because you know what? We want to, we want to, you know, if you, you have children, you recognize this. They want to please you, right? Like we're God's children and so we want to please Him. We don't want to, you know, as a parent, you know, this is how it was with my kids anyways. They did, they had played soccer. And so, uh, to differing degrees though, they, they would do this. They would make a, if they made a play, they'd always look back and they'd look at me to see. And sometimes they would ever say, Dad, did you, like, on the sidelines, Dad, did you see that? I hit it with my left foot. You know, like, hey, yeah, I saw that, you know, cause they didn't want to see my frown. They wanted to see my smile. And so what Paul is saying is like, look, you want to live your life in a way that you're bringing a smile to God and not a frown to him. And so you want to live a life to please him there. And so that's what Paul impacts for the church of Colossae. So here's how I see it. All that to say this. Here's how you can please God. and Here's how you can honor God. This, this one way. If you build this into your life, you will, you will honor and you'll please God. And that is this. Live your life unto an audience of one. Just make it your aim. I'm just going to live my life to an audience of one. There's all these pulls on your life, you know. You want to be accepted, you know. Uh, Sometimes we're concerned about image. You know, you want to be kind of cool and all that and how you're seen by your peers and all that. But if you just live your life uh, unto an audience of one, to please Him and honor Him, you will bear great fruit in, in your life here. And so the Bible says this in John chapter 15. It says this, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine and you're the branches. In other words, you're like a tree. Okay, you're like a tree. You're like branches on a tree. He says, he who abides in me, okay, connected to me, related to me, spending time with me, prioritizing me, intentional about me, giving calendar time to me, okay, tuning in to me every day. He who abides in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit and your fruit will remain. But apart from that dynamic, you can't bear any fruit. And so, so here's, here's how I see it. So would you abide, abide in him? Okay. Maybe God whispers something to you. Hear God's voice. You do it. Then you bear, you will bear fruit. The Bible says in Psalm chapter one, it says, um, it says this. Give me a minute just to think about it here. So he says, uh, 
He says, you will bear fruit. He says, you will be like a tree planted near rivers of water. And your, and your uh, leaf also shall not wither. So it's, it compares us then to a tree. You are like a tree planted near rivers of water. And so a tree then bears fruit here. But what I like to point out is this. I like to point out is this. As a tree matures, what does it do? It bears more fruit, right? Then when it's little, it can only bear a little bit of fruit. And in your faith journey here, you continually can bear more and more fruit. As you mature, you can be even more fruitful. Is that awesome or what? Think about it. You're not getting it. Now, you know, are you getting it? Okay, because think about it. Like a lot of other things, you don't feel like you can do more and more and more. You feel like you kind of slow down and maybe you do a little bit less and less and less. But as a Christ follower, you can actually do more and and bear more and more fruit as you you mature and continually grow in that. And so it's awesome. And so our fruit then is being boxed up. Our fruit from here is being boxed up. And it was sent to Mexico a couple weeks ago. And tomorrow it's going to be sent to Houston. And next week, Taps is we're going to package up Taps and send him, you know, to Zimbabwe. So uh, 21 students a week, you know, we're feeding, we're boxing up fruit to them. So you're continually just bearing fruit. So this is what God wants to do. And continuing, it says, uh, and you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. In your notes there, God wants you to grow and to know Him better and better. But I need to, I need to uh, explain this. Because see, when we think about knowing God, it's not knowing more information about God. You know, you can go to church and feel whatever, I don't know your past experience, but you can feel like they're just downloading information. Just more and more information. That's not what he's talking about at all here. He's talking about the most intimate relationship possible, speaking of a man and a woman. So he's speaking about that kind of intimacy that they experience. You can have this, this intimate relationship and know God more intimately as you go down the road. Not just information, but intimacy. And so that's what he's, he's uh, um, encouraging us here this morning. And then it says in verse 11. Oh, let me, I'm sorry, I forgot to point this out. So the Apostle Paul, after having been starting the church there in Philippi, uh, and then he writes to them 30 years later after he'd been following Christ. 30 years after knowing him, what does he say to the church at Philippi but this? After 30 years, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So, you know, I just really, after, after decades, what I want is I want to know him. And so not just about him or information, but I want to know God in his person and his character. I want to hear his voice. I want to be his intimate. And that's what they're, they're talking about here. And so God then wants to empower you. Watch this. We also pray, verse 11, you'll be strengthened with all of his glorious power. So you'll have what? You'll have endurance and patience. Now, why would he say that? Like, you know, I want to be empowered like, you know, like, where's the razzmatazz, you know, so I can be patient. Not like, that's it. And endurance, like, okay. thought there might be more than that. But think about it. Think about it. 
To be patient, it means to have a long fuse. Okay, and this speaks of having a short fuse. Now watch. Um, how many people you've been wounded by a short fuse? How many people here you've wounded somebody else because of a short fuse? And, and you don't you don't have the power to do anything about it. And maybe you've struggled, and, you know, and because of you, maybe your impatience and your short fuse has wounded, you know, your children, has wounded your wife, has wounded your friends, you know, has, you know, has wounded, you know, your employees, your employers, because of a short fuse. Says, you know what? You need God's power so you can have a long fuse. See, that's a work of God's grace transforming you on the inside. And then he says this too. He says, you know what? You need God's power for another thing. And that is, you need God's power so you can endure, so you can hold up. How many people in the room here this morning, you face things, you know, uh, this week or this month or this year, that if reality, you know, truth be known, like, it's like overwhelming to you. And you need some strength that you could endure that. Well, the scriptures mean this. It means when it says that you can endure, it means you have the strength literally to bear up under the load. The load of your life the load of raising your kids, the load of going off to college, the load of providing, you know, the load of the totality of your life to bear up under that weight. It says God will empower you so that you can do that. Isn't that awesome that God would do that? He gives you patience that you don't have the short fuse that's wounding people, but you'd have a long fuse and he gives you the power to bear up under the weight of your responsibility. It's awesome. And so that's what God will do here as he gives you power. And so verse 12, um, it says, Always thanking the Father, and he's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. So how many people you like the word inheritance? When you just hear that, you like that word. You like that word? I like that word. I've never got an inheritance, but I just... And I probably, and I never, I never will, but I still, I just like that word. I like to experience that word. But what he's talking about here is not an earthly inheritance. He's talking about those that are, 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 live in the kingdom of God here and it awaits all of God's people. So check this out. He's saying there is eternal provision that is stored up for you for all of eternity. How awesome is this that in your notes, God wants to reward you. He wants to reward you, but how does he want to do that? He wants to reward you for all eternity, for your generosity, for your word spoken, for what you've done, to give you an eternal reward. An inheritance awaits the children of God here. And the eternal inheritance is coming. It is coming here, and it, it, it changes. It really changes how you live. Think about that. Knowing that an inheritance is awaiting you, an eternal That'll go on, the Bible says, uh, uh, aeonios prosonios, forever and ever and ever. That awaits you. It changes the way that you live your life. It changes your disposition. And so God provides for all of our needs for all of eternity. And so a kingdom of life and peace and forever where God provides for all of our needs in abundance for all of eternity. In verse 13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so he's transferred us from one kingdom to another. He says the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From the kingdom of death 
to the kingdom of life. It says from the, from being the enemy of God to being the friend of God. From being under condemnation to salvation. This is what he's done to you. He's just tr- so we live as a people that Christ follows. You're, you're blessed. And he says in verse 14, who's purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So Jesus, as you know, you may know, purchased our freedom, but freedom was not free, purchased our freedom on the cross. And so you experience this, and what does it do to you? What does it do when you experience this freedom? What does it look like? How does it come to expression? Here's what it looks like. Okay, all the condemnation on your life there, okay, that is like, that's like lifted off of you. It's lifted off to you. And some of you here, you live still with condemnation. The shame, you know, it's lifted off of you. The guilt that you feel, it's, it's lifted off of you. You know, the burdens that you feel, God lifts that off of you. All of that is lifted off. It's such a beautiful thing that, that, that God does for us. And so it's like you take a nice deep breath and you start a new life. Okay, you are free. And so, uh, so all we do is we give him our sin and our rebellion and our folly to Jesus. And he dies for you. And, and uh, Jesus, uh, cousin uh, John says, says this, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our, our, our Passover Lamb. So we were in the grips of Satan, in the grips of the enemy, uh, in, the, in, in, the, in a world of sin, and he loves us, he cares for us, and he prepares for us a beautiful future. And so, so how do we take next steps? And then I just want to close with this. Give you a couple things. So how do you, how do you, how do you take next steps in terms of the life that God has for you, what he wants for you? How do you do that? Well, I think one way is just, we just begin to tune into God every day. Just tune into God every day. Um, and so the goal is that we would hear God's voice by tuning into God every day. And so uh, in all of us, we can hear his voice, and God wants you to hear his voice. And so maybe what that looks like is you slow down just a little bit. You slow down enough there. Maybe uh, you push the pause button a bit there so you can tune in and you can hear God's voice for your own life there. So John uh, chapter 10 verse 4 says this. He says, My sheep hear my voice. They follow me, but they hear my voice. And so how do you become familiar with someone's voice? How do you do that? Like my wife calls, you know, I see her face, so it's pretty obvious she's calling there. Maybe you have caller ID, but how do you do that? Okay, you, you spend time, you spend time with that person, and then as soon as you, you hear them, you know immediately who it is, because you've heard their voice. Uh, when you spend time, you know, uh, with Christ, you spend good time with God, immediately as we begin to, oh, that's God's voice for my life, and it becomes real to you. And so, um, so the other thing I want to challenge us to do is then after we hear his voice, then you take steps toward what he has made real to you, what he has spoken. Take steps toward that. So you hear his voice, and you do what he says, and that helps you to bear much fruit there. And so um, 
I'm going to have the band come up, and I just want to, I feel like, I feel like I need to stop talking, and I feel like that we need to just pause and just let, you know, God's Spirit speak to our hearts. So if you would bow your heads with me. And so, Father, I, I pray that um, we, would, we would hear your voice for our lives, that we would just listen. And maybe this morning there was one point of the message or passage or something that was said or read, and we felt that this was for me. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us now like my job is simply to lead people to you and for you to do the talking. And I pray that you'd breathe life and purpose inside of us. I pray that we would see our lives as you see us. Father, I pray for some of us, maybe it's a a new relationship with you, a new relationship with God, a new relationship maybe with church, but that we would hear God saying it's time to to take a step. It's time to take a step. For some of us, Lord, may we just surrender. For others, may we give our life to you. That's you, right where you're seated. Just say, I'm ready. I just, I'm ready to become his child and his follower. And right where you're seated, you can give Jesus control of your life pray a simple prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Today I receive forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me. I believe you were buried, you died, you rose again. I surrender my life to you. Lord, we thank you that you seek us, that you served us, that you save us. I pray there would be a sense of, of urgency for us to engage you more intimately in the journey. In Jesus' name, amen.